financial literacy is dominated by white men, um, institutional racism, right? Those things can be internalized. It's like, well, I didn't do that. I, I'm, and people make it the I'm not racist statement or I'm not a sexist statement. Well, it's not about you. Like, we're not saying you as an individual, right? We're talking about an institution. Does talking about your money make you cringe? Are you tired of fighting about finances? Do you want to stop sabotaging your financial happiness? Then you are in the right place. Welcome to Breaking Money Silence, a podcast series aimed at helping all of us talk more openly about money. Your host, Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, is a wealth psychology expert who is doing what she does best, speaking about taboo topics. International speaker, author, and founder of KBK Wealth Connection, Kathleen understands money and our relationship with it. Over the past decade, she has empowered thousands of people to break money silence at home and at work. Now, here is Kathleen. This episode is sponsored by Copperleaf Financial. Held to the fiduciary standards of care, Copperleaf Financial develops a financial plan specifically for you, integrating every aspect of your life. They offer comprehensive wealth planning services, including sustainable investing solutions. To find out more, visit copperleaffinancial.com. Today, I am joined by Latoya Council, a Black feminist scholar activist, and she's an expert on work-family conflict and its intersection with health and well-being for Black American middle-class individuals. I am very excited to break money silence with her and talk a little bit about her work and also about a book that she co-authored that I discovered when we started to chat. And this book is called Intersection Allies, We Make Room for All. It's by LaToya Council and her two co-authors, Chelsea Johnson and Carolyn Choi. LaToya, welcome so much to the Breaking Money Silence podcast. Thank you so much for having me here, Kathleen. (laughs) I am really excited to talk a little bit about your work and especially about intersectionality because, you know, I don't know if this is a common experience, but I didn't know about it before reading your book. And I really just think it's, it's a wonderful concept and one that we need to be talking more about. So can you fill in the listeners a little bit more as to what intersectionality is and why it's important for us to be talking about? So intersectionality is um, a concept, a word that was created by law professor Kimberly Crenshaw in the early 1990s. Um, She was writing about Black women's experiences with intimate partner violence and the criminal justice system, as well as Black women's employment experiences and the stickiness of affirmative action. Black women would go to the courts to speak their grievances about pay or opportunities, the courts will say, well, are you speaking these grievances based on your race or on your gender? And they're like, well, it's both, but the courts weren't seeing it as both. And so Professor Crenshaw was like, we need to talk about intersectionality and how women of color experience not only racism, but also gender oppression. And this stemmed out to other identities that people have. So intersectionality essentially explains how all of the different parts of a person combine to affect their life experiences and personal identity. So age, ability, skin color, religion, citizenship, body size, and culture 
make up our personal identity and influence who we are and how we live. In terms of the children's book, I decided to co-write a children's book based on intersectionality because my co-authors and I um, wanted to introduce a theory of intersectionality to children. So when I read this book, one of the things that struck me was, first of all, what, I mean, the concept makes sense that we are the sum of all the different parts of our identity. Uh, But one of the things that really struck me that I hadn't thought about is how much I was not taught that growing up. And, you know, my parents were good people. But I remember just learning early on in very subtle ways, because I don't think it was ever overtly said, was that differences were not something we should celebrate, certainly not inside the family. And outside the family, well, my parents were very accepting and we were taught to be accepting of everybody. I don't really think that intersectionality concept was really taught. And I imagine that's true for a lot of adults. So... When I think about this concept, first of all, I'm so thankful to have read the book and I highly recommend it to anybody. Um, but second of all, you know, it's, it's quite a concept. So why a kid's book versus maybe writing a book for adults? Right. So we decided to write a children's book, um, a book for kids, because first, usually that's how adults sometimes learn, especially if they're connected to children, right? So if we if we could take this concept, which is very challenging, and as you mentioned, not many people know it, and break it down to the simplest form, then imagine the individuals and the lives that we will be able to touch. So we wrote it because in the hopes that we wanted to help create a more thoughtful, just, and inclusive world. So we knew intersectionality was important given our current political climate and we all use intersectionality in our research. And as social justice scholars, we felt that it was important to give back to the communities we engage daily by breaking down this term to, the, to a simple level that can truly help inspire new ways of approaching difference and inclusion. And so with going towards children, you know, that's the best way to do that, right? A children's book it goes into households and it grows with children and it grows with family members. And so in justice that not only are we educating children, but you end up educating entire households, you reach school systems, you reach educators and it kind of nonprofits and it just goes from there. So that's why a children's book. Yeah, no. And, and that's what I loved it. It was a, it's a complex concept, but it's very simply stated in the children's book. It's easy to relate to. And I also feel like it should be like required reading for all adults, especially given our current climate out there and the conversations that we're having. And so when we talk about parents reading this to kids or teachers reading this to kids or, you know, kids learning to read and using this book, what are the specific skills or concepts do you want them to walk away with? Yeah, thank you. So when parents and children walk away from intersection allies, I hope they gain a better understanding of what it means to practice inclusion. Um, And this is a lesson that we need really right now in this current political climate. But not only practicing inclusion, but as well as understanding that inclusion and equity are achieved by making room for all. So 
a repeated phrase in the book is, where there's room for some, we make room for all. Friends can be allies, no matter how small, which means that we are all capable of practicing solidarity by standing beside people who experience life differently from us, making sure that they too are given access to the same resources and opportunities. You know, Bell Hook says feminism is for everybody while respecting differences and making room by being a great ally is also for everybody. And we benefit from making room and respecting and honoring differences. I, love, I just love that. And so I've already bought this book for a friend of mine who's an adult mm -hmm. and her grandchild. And so watch out anybody who's listening that knows me. I feel like this might be my go-to holiday gift because I really, the message is so, so spot on and so well done. Now, as we broaden this conversation out, Latoya, one of the things that I started to think about after I read uh, the book and we had our conversation was the idea of, you know, I consult to the world of finance and finance is an incredibly homogeneous group. It's primarily white, male, middle-aged at this point. And there is definitely a culture of fitting in. And I have been, you know, a consultant for the past 15 years. Uh, when I was in my early 20s, uh, I worked in finance directly. So I experienced it as a younger person and experience it now. And so when I think about the idea of intersectionality and I think about the equity and inclusion work that is starting to really take hold in the finance industry, I'm wondering how might professionals or educators or, or maybe even consultants like me incorporate this into my work. Do you have any ideas about how to go about doing that? Yes, so I think the first thing and practicing intersectionality in the financial literacy sector is beginning by surveying who makes up the primary audience in which financial literacy is being targeted. If noticing that the crowd is predominantly of one race and mainly men, then one important, important approach is working to find ways to reach across groups of people and into spaces like no, local nonprofits, and other community organizations where they're also doing the work around financial literacy with underrepresented groups. So I think making these connections can go a long way because it brings in diverse faces. One can change the longstanding viewpoint of who is qualified to work in financial literacy and for whom financial literacy is meant to help. I also think in training on white male-dominated employees working and training them to think about the legacy of like institutional racism in banking, as well as the wealth gap between white communities and minority communities, such as the black community, right? These communities have experienced barriers to gaining wealth, to accessing income resources, and have encountered barriers to financial literacy. So learning about these barriers and finding ways to strategize with individual clients on how they can perhaps mitigate some challenges is an important way someone within the field of financial literacy can put intersectionality into practice. So one of the things you just said was a training for the middle-aged white men, and that is very intriguing for me. So mm -hmm. what I'm gonna do right now is take a quick break and we're going to come back and we're going to talk a little bit about that. 
Did you know that 44% of Americans would rather talk about politics, religion, and death than personal finance? And there's a real cost to this money silence, to society, your family, and the next generation. Kathleen Burns Kingsbury's book, Breaking Money Silence, How to Shatter Money Taboos, Talk More Openly About Finances, and Live a Richer Life, explores the history of the money talk taboo and offers readers practical tips and tools for engaging in healthy financial communication. Pick up your copy today. Breaking Money Silence is available on Amazon and bookstores everywhere. Join the revolution at www.breakingmoneysilence.com. We are in the middle of a really interesting conversation with LaToya Council. She is one of the authors of Intersection Allies. We Make Room for All, a wonderful book about this concept of intersectionality and accepting everybody for all their various differences and realizing that people are much more than one dimensional. Uh, Before we took a quick break, we were talking about the idea of training for white middle-aged men in financial services. And so I love this idea. I certainly have presented a lot in front of audiences that are 85% men, 15% women. And I would say maybe the diversity in the room was one or 2% were diverse. So when you talk about that, I think one of the things that I wonder is, as somebody who looks like me with white privilege that has an in, I would say that I'm in a good position to be able to bring that type of training forward. However, I also feel as if there's two roadblocks. One is I feel like someone like you would be more qualified in terms of uh, the content and, and, and the history and certainly your experience. And second of all, I wonder if the white men would listen to me or you because they are so set in their ways. And I'm not saying all white men. I mean, I know some really great guys in the financial services industry. Um, so I don't want to put everybody into a stereotype. But what do you think would need to happen for that type of training to be successful or even for someone like me or you to get your foot in the door? You know, I think the first thing that would need to happen is, you know, white men will have to come to the space ready to have that conversation, right? And not internalize it. So I think a lot of the times the problem comes in because you're right. It's just like how to get them to listen to either one of us is the chip on the shoulder, right? Because when you hear Financial literacy is dominated by white men, um, institutional racism, right? Those things can be internalized. It's like, well, I didn't do that. I, I'm, and people make it the I'm not racist statement or I'm not a sexist statement. Well, it's not about you. Like, we're not saying you as an individual, right? We're talking about an institution. We're talking about a legacy here. Been this way for so long in this U.S. nation state. So I would start by saying, I'm encouraging you all to come to this training and taking yourself out of the victim seat. Do not, what we say is not about you. It's about a system in which you um, benefit from way more than women and and people of color and other minorities. And so I think starting there and then training them to talk, ask questions of their clients, right? To dismantle myths. So understanding that engagement with financial literacy is very much a middle and upper middle class privilege in which many people may not grow up learning about or having access to. So when speaking with clients, for example, 
perhaps have a warm and inviting demeanor by asking them, what do you know about financial literacy? And then approach individuals with the hopes of easing their concerns about moving toward the path of financial literacy and doing so in a way that does not promote or perpetuate blockage or first impression bad experiences. I just picked up your book about teaching money to couples and I was reading it and I saw some of those, so what I'm saying here kind of coming through in the book as well. So you're already on the right track. <laughs> well, thank you for, uh, for purchasing my book. You've made my publisher and myself very happy. Um, those are great suggestions. And, and the other thing that I see a lot of people in the field, myself included, but other allies, is really reaching out to men who are allies in the field who can bring this message. Because I think everybody, if we talk about intersectionality, right, and, and we talk about everybody bringing their strengths and in, in all of who they are to the conversation, I really think we need to have men, white men, obviously men of color too, in the conversation. What you're alluding to in terms of the systematic racism and the bias mm -hmm. in banking and finance, I really think a lot of people don't know about redlining or about the fact mm -hmm. that um, certain communities are still not served by the financial services industry. And yes, there is that bias in the industry that we serve affluent people, affluent couples, affluent families. But the majority of America isn't affluent, and certainly a large percentage of people of color don't fit into that because of these systematic problems. So mm -hmm. you take kind of this, uh, dare I say, simple concept in a book, and then you think about how you can overlay that in your work. And I guess that's what I'm challenging uh, my listeners to do is in, in whatever capacity you are personally or professionally, how can you take this concept and kind of run with it? I think the other question I have for you, LaToya, is really, I do have a passion for teaching young people and women to be financially savvy. And so often I'm working with financial advisors and they are working with adults. But when it comes to teaching kids K through 12, I do some work with Champaign College, which is right here in Vermont, in their Center for Financial Literacy Summer Institute. What are the ideas you would have for any of the teachers listening that are teaching young kids on how to be more inclusive in their teaching style? Yes. So um, like above, I believe it starts with knowing your audience and recognizing that financial literacy is not something that everyone knows how to do or we're taught. In many low-income white communities, as well as in middle, lower-income, and immigrant minority communities, residual income, number one, may not be attainable. Second, the know-how and knowledge about financial literacy might not be a dinnertime conversation because the access to financial education and wealth building is not as readily available. And it's also gendered as well. Short story, I, I was watching the interview special with Dance Moms coach, Abby Lee Miller, before she served time in prison for felony bankruptcy fraud. And Abby mentioned that in her household growing up that her father handled the finances. She was taught that men handled them. So women got married and they typically handled the bills, right? But the major financial decisions on moving money, stretching money and investing money tends to be handled by husbands in heterosexual couple dynamics. So with that, an intersectional approach would ask 
What is the meaning of financial literacy for women? And how is this complicated by race, class, religion, citizenship status, age, ability, and more? And then work to dismantle the notion that financial wellness is not only something that concerns cisgender white men, but it also concerns women, minority women, and women with varying citizenship status, and women in varying sexual relationships, perhaps same-sex coupling. So the images used and depicted should move away from the heterosexual white male image and adopt inclusive images that works to recast the meanings behind financial wellness in women's lives. And this is important to do. Um, you know, one of the things that you said, I think, is a very doable action step, and, and all of what you said is valuable. But when I just even do a review of some of the websites that are out there that are teaching either financial literacy or their websites for, for financial advisors, one of the things I often see, and I am working at my own website and my own media presence to correct this when I have uh, done this as well, is it's this one white image, as opposed mm -hmm. to people of different sexual orientations, couples, uh, biracial, people of color, uh, mixed you know, race marriages, whatever it might be. Uh, and with this podcast, you may or may not know this, LaToya, but you are part of a series where I am talking to people about diversity and inclusion. And one of the shows we actually talked to this wonderful woman about uh, being a queer woman in finance and, and what that was like and what that is like for her. So I think your tips and tools are really helpful for people. Now, what I'm curious about is kind of what's next for you and how can people find out more about this wonderful work that you're doing? Yeah, so currently I am writing my dissertation on heterosexual black middle-class couples and their work in family life, after which I plan on writing a popular press book about the impact of gendered racism at home on how couples manage romantic partnering, child care, and family demands and work demands and personal time to take care of themselves. So it's a very exciting project that I am looking forward to spending the next decade or so unpacking and presenting to the world. Um, in terms of Intersection Allies, we just released our teaching guide through our publisher, Daughter Press, which is also a feminist press. So yay. Uh, <laughs> awesome. We're excited. Um, next, we are diving into intersectionality and families. Specifically, we are breaking down what, what is the standard mom, the standard mom, dad, two kids and family pet model. Um, looking at practicing inclusion from multiple family forms, opening up and showing how all family forms can be in our spaces where children receive love, safety, and care. That's awesome. You know, I really am very interested, obviously, in the dissertation that you're doing about uh, Black middle-class couples. And so I'm wondering if you would be willing to come back at a later date and talk a little bit about that. Of course, of course, of course. <laughs> Excellent. So I'm going to put a lot of links in the show notes so people can find you, find your research. But why don't you give us the best uh, website or email address for you and also uh, some information about where people can find the book and that wonderful teaching guide. Um, so you can find out more about the book at clccollective.com. 
And then you can find out more about, I actually purchased a book on our publisher's website at daughterpress.com, D-O-T-T-I-R press.com. And actually listeners today can receive 15% off their purchase at Daughter using the code ALLY15 and ALLY is all caps, A-L-L-Y, when checking out at Daughter. Thank you. Thank you so much for that discount for the listeners. That's really great. I'll put that in the show notes as well. Sorry to interrupt. So go ahead. Where can we find out more about you? You can find out more about me on my Instagram page at LDC underscore L-U-V, all lowercase. You can find out more on on the Twitter handle at council underscore Latoya or on my CLC Twitter handle at intersect allies and on my web usc website page just go to usc university of southern california sociology's homepage. go to graduate students and click on my profile picture well it has been wonderful to break money silence with you it really seems like the work that you are doing is going to have a big impact and i can't wait to tell everybody about the book and I encourage listeners to check it out. And also the fact that you are going to be writing uh, more of a mainstream book is, is exciting as well. So thank you so much for your time today, Latoya, and for sharing your thoughts on intersectionality and breaking money silence with me. Thank you for having me. This episode is sponsored by Copperleaf Financial. Held to the fiduciary standards of care, Copperleaf Financial develops a financial plan specifically for you integrating every aspect of your life. They offer comprehensive wealth planning services, including sustainable investing solutions. To find out more, visit copperleaffinancial.com. Thank you for listening to Breaking Money Silence, hosted by Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, a wealth psychology expert, author, and founder of KBK Wealth Connection. If you like what you heard today, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app and leave a review. Also, share this episode with your friends and family. It is a great way to get the conversation started. For more money talk tips and information, or to hire Kathleen to speak at your next event, go to www.breakingmoneysilence.com.